This week, baby's first Hannibal Lecter. Terrible acting, both in the film and real life. And an R rating, more watered down than whiskey at a TGI Friday's. This week, it's death by teaching Mrs. Tingle. Welcome back, everybody. This is another episode of the Netflix Martyrs. I'm Chris Mattiello, and as always, I'm joined by the rest of the Martyrs. We have with us Twanit Meta. Howdy. We have Rob Recci. <laughs> <laughs> and from way down in Florida, we have Pam Roby. <laughs> this week, Kevin Williamson's Teaching Mrs. Tingle, starring... Katie Holmes, and Oscar Award winner Helen Mirren. I want to first throw this out there because we're all, all of the martyrs here are pretty much the same age within a year plus minus. Memories of this film, do you have any? No. Did not know this movie existed. No, I remember this movie coming out and I remember having no desire to see it when it came out. I just remember it being a thing and then not being a thing anymore. I vaguely remember these the trailers for the film and remembering the, 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 the sort of mild controversy that sort of erupted because uh, of the name change, that this, would, this was to have been killing Mrs. Tingle, and then they, uh, they had to change it to the last minute, which as, as a 12-year-old going on 13, I really didn't think too much about. But surprisingly, the only thing I could remember over 10 years later is that there was a, a little bit of a... Of a, of a fuss over the name change. Now, we usually start each episode with something we like to call Five Across the Eyes, where we attempt to summarize, review, or generally explain a movie in five words or less. I, I would have to go with Breakfast Club of the Lambs. My five was uh, only valedictorians get college scholarships. <laughs> which is like what this movie wants you to believe is that if you are not the valedictorian of your class you are not getting jack shit for scholarships you got no money to go to college the only person in your high school class that goes to college most likely is the valedictorian as this movie would have us believe and if yeah. you've ever seen it or if you want to hear us talk about it the stakes are so unbelievably high for for katie holmes's character to get the scholarship that this film would have you believe that only valedictorians Get scholarships. I think mine is more of a, it's going to be the way I say it rather than the actual words. So mine is WB alum and Helen Mirren? Question mark. And that would be mine. That's really the only way I can explain this. Nice. I'm going to go with Alanis Morissette's favorite movie. <laughs> Which... That's a very ironic statement. Oh, God. <laughs> Don't you think? It really is. It's like okay. rain on your wedding day. Oh, my God. 10, I felt 000, like it was 10,000 spoons when all I needed was a knife. 10,000 spoons when all I need is a crossbow. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So let's jump. Let's jump into this into this fucking movie. Um, so we start off with Katie Holmes. And this was 1999. This was a time when Dawson's Creek 
had had its success. It was riding that. It was still probably at its peak. Maybe maybe just coming down from that. But at this point, Katie Holmes, um, James Vanderbeek, and Joshua, Joshua Jackson. Jackson were all trying to break out of that Dawson's Creek wholesome kind of uh, typecast. And they were all trying to do dark kind of movies. And this was Katie Holmes' attempt at doing something dark. Though the, the strange irony here... Or irony? Is this irony? Perhaps Miss Tingle can tell us if this is irony. Um, yeah, it is. Is that she actually isn't... She's pretty much the same character. No, it, it's exactly... No, that's what I was going to say, is that she's exactly the same. She... I feel like you can take all like early 90s to late 90s Katie Holmes appearances, and you could make a drinking game... Out of every time she does that really stupid thing where she like half smiles and like turns her mouth up to the side and like scrunches her nose a little bit, like this is my cutesy way of smiling. Where she was like scrunchy face thing, and uh, you'd probably be pretty wasted if you actually counted the number of times she does that in any given film. I mean, I think you're absolutely right, Pam. I, you know, the the thing that I thought about this is that you're watching a film where where the actress, you know, Katie Holmes as a person is is very. You know, um, obviously attempting to do something different than what she's famous for, but she's still at the height of like her big eyes, big forehead, plaid skirt. Like, she's got it. But and, she plays, she plays it up though. She like even that little baby. She does. She does like she like she does not talk like that normally. But the whole movie, she's like talking in her little voice. And being well, I think maybe her ambitions grew, but her acting chops did not. So like <laughs> she wanted to do something more. But yet she still only had like her Dawson's Creek background in 99. So another five across the eyes might be Katie Holmes tries Spring Breakers. Katie Holmes has this look where it seems like she would be that perfect quote unquote final girl in like a horror movie where she's kind of this innocent, demure, um, naive kind of girl. But in a lot of movies, she tries to get away from that. But in all of those movies, she still ends up coming off exactly like that. She's yeah. very one note. But that's what I'm saying. Like even just her, once you start noticing it, you won't stop noticing it because she does it in a lot of things. That like little, she like quirks her or like she turns her mouth up to like the side of her face. She kind of like it's like her whole mouth kind of goes off to the right side to do this like little weird smile thing. And she does it in like every movie I've ever seen her in. And I don't know if it's like her cute little quirky tick thing, but. She just can't control her face or her. I don't. I just don't like Katie Holmes. She's she's doing it on the poster for this movie. Yes. 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 She's, she definitely is. Yeah. I, I always assumed that was just kind of her face. That was like her natural expression. That is her face. I mean, even up to Batman Begins, you can't really get away from it. You know, that's that was that was her second chance to get away from it. To get teaching Mrs. Tingle was her chance to get away from Dawson's Creek, and I think Batman Begins was a way to get away from teaching Mrs. Tingle. Okay, wait, wait, all right. Batman Begins reminds me: Would this movie have been better if we replaced Katie Holmes with Maggie Gyllenhaal? One hundred percent, absolutely, definitely yes. Maggie Gyllenhaal is always an acceptable replacement for Katie Holmes. That's true. Also, I just want to say, if you actually go to Google and you type in Katie Holmes smile one side. There's a whole gallery full of pictures of her doing that one side of the smile. So I just want everyone to know this. So that it's not just me noticing this. This is her. That's what Tom Cruise fell in love with. He, he watched this movie and he loved that one-sided smile. And then a couple years later, he was jumping on a couch. 
D, and the answer is yes, by the way. D just uh, private messaged us. Does that make <laughs> Katie Holmes the, the poor man's Maggie Gyllenhaal? Could you imagine Katie Holmes in secretary? Absolutely not. <laughs> No, oh, I can imagine her. I, I could it. actually, yes. She'd be, she'd be trying to do what she did in uh, Thank You for Smoking, where she was trying to be like sexy and sultry in that movie, and that was just so sad. I don't even remember her in that movie. Yeah. Yeah, same here. I just remember um, Two Face. <laughs> What's his name? Aaron Eckhart. Was Aaron Eckhart excellent. killing it, yeah. That movie is she's awesome. The, she's the one who seduces Aaron Eckhart to get like information off of him. She's like a reporter or something. Her role is almost like delegated to cameo at that point, though. That's true. She's like the loan out of most movies. She's, she's not a seductress. She's the no. one who you seduce away from. <laughs> as, as demonstrated by this movie. Yeah. That's true. All right. So let's get into teaching Mrs. Tingle now. Uh, we meet Katie Holmes, who is a high school student uh, who lives with her single mother. Who There's this little side plot where... The single mother uh, tries so hard to, to raise Katie Holmes, and Katie wants to give back to the mother. And she's doing that. She wants to be the valedictorian of her high school so that she can get out of this small town, which... I, I, where does this movie take place? Um, I think it was hell. <laughs> <laughs> it's hell. Characters like described as town. It was basically like the seventh layer of hell. It looks and like a beautiful know. suburb. Yeah, it definitely looks like the O.C., Minus the beaches, but it looks like Californian suburbia. It does. Yeah, I don't. Did they ever say where it's supposed to be? No. They they live in a beautiful house for a waitress salary. Yeah. It it really, it kind of gave the California vibe just because everybody in high school is like playing like hacky sack and football before class. I love that when we first meet Katie Holmes' character, she's in like, and they always do this with like the smart, kind of nerdy girls in movies, and I never understood it. Was they. They put her in, like, this little plaid skirt and this, like, button-up shirt, which apparently is, like, every smart girl's uniform in 90s teen movies. It's like, I don't go to a prep school, but I'm going to dress like I do go to a prep school because I'm the smart girl and it's the only way I can dress. And I, I don't understand why they do it all the time. Well, Katie Holmes needs – she needs an A on this assignment so that she can be the valedictorian because she's, quote-unquote, the smartest girl in school, which is like uh, – the high school version to, of the big account. Yeah, it's like landing the big account, or like we said with um, with vibrations, playing the big show at the hottest venue in town. As Rob said, only if you get an A can you go to college in 1999, apparently. It's true or now than it is back then. I mean, they make it seem as though one person of their entire graduating class will go to college, because none of the other characters in this film, I mean... We meet a couple of other, uh, you know, high school students, and uh, they, they, they have various breakfast club archetypes, you know, kind of ingrained in them. And uh, we'll get into this in a little bit, I think, but none of them seem to be going to college. Can I just say that? Like, none of the other people that are playing a major role in this movie seem to have any shot at going to college, whether it's because they don't want to or whether it's because they're just a loser. Having graduated high school... And college, I'm pretty sure number one in the class is not the only person who's allowed to go to college because I sure as hell was not number one in my high school class. And uh, Chris, you know, you and I, fellow alumni, I don't think you were either. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's wrong to say, but uh, no, no, yeah. I was not. So, so Chris, Chris, and Rob here, we're living proof. Other people I... besides the valedictorian are allowed to go to college, but in 1999, maybe this wasn't the case. 
Pam and I went to the same high school. Pam, were you the valedictorian? I was not valedictorian, um, but I did pretty well. I did pretty well for myself. Wait a minute, but did you end up being a, just a waitress, just like your mother, for the next 35 years? It's really personal. I don't want to put this on the podcast, guys. Oh, <laughs> I just don't want you to have a name tag that says Faye. And yo, know, or to have a bad seed and then end up repeating the cycle or something. <laughs> yeah. Now, personally, I have some gripes with this movie. Um, I'm going to bring some personal life into the Netflix Martyrs. Um, I used to be a high school English teacher. Hmm? So seeing some of the things that occur in this movie, you know, I would watch that and be like, wrong, wrong, nope. Not a thing. Does not happen that way. And, um, I mean, I watched this with D, and he was right there alongside of me. I was saying so many times, like, that's not how things work. Yep. That's not real. And most of it is really obvious, like we said, with, you know, the valedictorian scholarship. But there's so many things in this movie that, I mean, Kevin Williamson did not do his, uh, no pun intended, he did not do his homework when it came to this movie. Does that mean there's going to be no teaching Mr. Mattiello? The kids loved me. Depends on how much. <laughs> well, none of them probably wrote a Salem witch diary. So yeah, let's get into that. That's yeah. Well, that that scene, like there were at least six play- parts in that scene where like somebody would have been expelled or fired. Well, yeah, oh, let's, yeah, let's, hey, absolutely. Wait, let's let's rewind a little bit. So yeah, we have to we have to get there naturally. She she wants to get an A on this big project, which is they have to create a an artifact from some sort of historical era or concept it, it's it's a very generic hodgepodge kind of project um basically the, like a history lesson right yeah the best friend comes in the best friend who's played by marissa coughlin who you don't know that name but uh, the only other thing she did was play ursula in super troopers she comes in dressed she's an aspiring actress she comes in dressed as marilyn monroe and does a whole thing with that one of the kids comes in with a homemade crossbow Yes. Which let's I'm gonna put that on the back burner for one second because we will get to that. Yeah. But it's the Chekhov's crossbow of this we, entire movie. We, and we do a Chekhov's thing every episode. I hope the people yeah, listening really know what, know what the, the Chekhov's thing is. If not, just Google Chekhov's gun. Um maybe we'll have a uh, a half a sode on that at some point since we bring it up so often. I think we should because you, yeah. you definitely see that in this movie. Oh, it's the biggest Chekhov's gun we've had so far. It should be the Chekhov martyrs at this point. <laughs> like, just now that we, we say it. And <laughs> when Netflix, if we ever get a, Netflix, we ever get a cease and desist from Netflix, Yeah, when we get the cease and desist, we'll do that. Um, so <laughs> Coming Holmes, soon, the, the Chekhov martyrs. Katie Holmes <laughs> creates, she says it's taken her six months to create this journal of uh, a girl who lived during the Salem witch trials who was accused of being a witch and burned at the stake. Well, you fail. You fail your project because guess what? In Salem, no one was burned at the stake. Even though it was factually accurate, and Katie Holmes's character makes a point on saying, well, it's based on real accounts, whereas her best friend just did the world's worst Marilyn Monroe impression of all time, and we're led to believe they got similar grades. And this is the first of, of at least two or three instances where I am just embarrassed for the woman playing the best friend. And like Chris said, I, I forget the name. But, man, that really stayed with me is that, like, no one tried harder than this chick. She was not Katie Holmes. She was no Helen Mirren. And she tried so fucking hard. She tried so hard. 
they, they have her do very awkward impressions, you know, at least one of which comes later in the movie. But the first one, like we see, is this god-awful Marilyn Monroe. And there she is wearing, like, the seven-year itch dress with the blonde wig. And it, yeah. it's like an uncomfortable close-up, right? Did anybody yeah. else think that? I was like, ugh. They, yeah. they really didn't, that really didn't help. I mean, just to say that this girl thinks that her final project can be a Marilyn Monroe impression, talking about how she had sex with JFK and <laughs> influenced him on the Cuban Missile Crisis, it just is, ugh. Like, so much of this movie just made me go, ugh. Well, that's the thing, though. Again, going back to the, like, smart girl, I guess, archetype at this point, they're always, like, the... Okay, so, like, going to, um, let's say, Empire Records. Empire Records, you have Liv Tyler, who's, like, the smart girl. And she wears, again, the little plaid skirt and, yeah. like, a sweater because she's, like, kind of dressing like she goes through prep school, even though she clearly doesn't. And then they always have the best friend that's the more outgoing, kind of a little bit dumb, like, not as ambitious as their smart chick friend, but, like, really loyal and always there to help. Oh, yeah. Renee Zellweger in Empire Records, and they have this chick, and she's basically, like, the... I'm never going to be as smart as you, but I'm at least more outgoing and more, like, you know, that's what I have to fall back on. They always have that, like, duo. That's the pair that always comes along. I mean, she'll do anything she can. I think at one point she even says, I'll do anything I can to help you graduate. Yeah, she says, I'll make it my mission to help you graduate. Because that's so difficult. Yeah, right? And then... We have to we have to introduce Helen Mirren's character, the titular Mrs. Tingle, who has it. She just she gets off. She is sexually aroused. Is by, there any reason you called her the titular Mrs. Tingle? Oh, <laughs> maybe two reasons. But I'm just saying, I can think of a couple. But she is sexually aroused by humiliating and putting down her students. She verbally abuses them in the middle of class. She degrades them, and she openly plays favorites. And, yeah, it's a public school, but, uh, you know, tenure is a thing. And I was trying to figure out, you know, if she would still have a job at this point. And she probably would, but here's how they... Here's how schools weed out teachers that they hate. They give them the dum-dums. Mm-hmm. Helen Mirren's character she'd would really not. Enjoy that. She oh she would, but she would not be teaching the honors kids anymore. She yeah. would be teaching the kids who needed like special assistance in class. That's how they try to get rid of the teachers they hate. Is they just give them the lowest, the worst of the worst students. We we meet a couple of teachers and they're played. These are basically cameos. We have Michael McKean. Colonel Mustard himself. Oh, no, he's not Colonel Mustard. Mr. Green. Mr. Green himself uh, playing the principal. We have Vivica A. Fox as a guidance counselor and Molly Ringwald as a secretary. And everyone in the school hates Helen Mirren. And fears. And fears, yes. For no no adequately explained reason other than she's mildly intimidating. Well, she she bullies. There's a scene in the beginning of the movie where she basically bullies the principal and she... You know, kind of goes like, I know you used to be an alcoholic. Congratulations on being sober for four years. If you have been sober for four years, like just really like she degrades him. So it is kind of surprising that I guess it's like the whole Jane Lynch and Glee thing. Not that, you know, everyone here has ever watched Glee, but 
you know, it's the whole Jane Lynch is like this really like this bullying, mean character, and she gets away with it because everyone's scared of her. It's just but that. at least Jane Lynch is like funny and likable as yeah. she has some like, redeeming qualities. And yeah. at least she like as an audience member, you're watching you know Sue Sylvester on screen and she's funny. Like she's making fun of people and it's hilarious. Like you see Helen Mirren like. You know, go up to Principal Rooney, which, right? Was he from Ferris Bueller? No, no, no. I feel like this was just an extension of that. No, diff. You mean the different actor? Different dudes? Damn. Different I thought I actor. had him. I was no. going to say, it was almost as if he was trying to get this other girl on her day off. But anyway, so she she confronts him, and it's so, like, it just makes your skin crawl where she's talking about, oh, it's your anniversary or your birthday of your sobriety. And you've had no liquor in four years. Well, why are you so tired? Maybe you had a late night. Maybe you were relapsing. And he's just like, this bitch. Like, yeah. it just sets her up as like, and she gets really personal with a lot of the characters in this movie. And I think that her initial interaction with the principal totally sets that point. So that's one thing I think the movie does well because she, her, Mrs. Tingle as a character really sticks to that. Like, she's uncomfortably familiar with her students personal lives she is mm-hmm. i said yeah. there's one point like later we'll get to it later on in the movie but like yeah the attack she goes into is like how did she know all of those details did she like get a a history on each one of her students to actually be able to pick them apart as well I mean, it's so personal well they do say they do say a few times that it's a very small town so word gets around okay. so i guess that that's maybe their excuse is that everybody knows everybody so everybody yeah. has all the dirt I mean, yeah, Diva. I mean, that's definitely the excuse, the way that they make it work in the movie. But it's just like they waste no time in showing you that, like, Mrs. Tango will cut you, yeah. like, right down to your soul. Like, whatever is bothering you in your personal life, like, you go to school and this bitch knows exactly what is going on with you. And she'll use it against you. And it starts off with her boss. I mean, this guy signs the paychecks. This is the principal. And she's just like... Hits him up about the AA thing, like, in the middle of the school day, in the hallway. Even with tenure, stuff like that probably wouldn't be tolerated. No. Like, being that much of a dickhead to your, no. your immediate superior. Yeah. Well, let's, let's very quickly talk about the crossbow scene. So one of the chuckle fucks in the class, he's built a homemade crossbow, and he's showing it off in class. And Tingle allows him to cock it, to load it. With an actual sharpened bolt, which goes off in his hands, the bolt flies towards a student. And this, this, there's this one girl throughout the movie who's basically like the Tracy Flick of yeah. the school. Yeah, if you've seen exactly. Election, Reese Witherspoon, she's like the the goody good. She's probably she's probably the school president. She's the, the valedictorian. She's Katie I mean, Holmes she's the anti Katie Holmes. Yeah. You know, I she comes I from money. Yeah, I wouldn't say she's the goody good either, though, because. And, I mean, this is just going ahead one scene, but she's, like, you know, you meet her later, and she's basically the person running against Katie Holmes to be Val Victorian. They're, like, basically neck and neck. They're both really smart, but where, yeah, where Katie Holmes is nice, this girl, for no apparent reason, is just an absolute, like, asshole. And yeah, like, I don't think she's good at good at all. Like, I think oh, that yeah. she is what the Katie Holmes character in this movie could become. Like, she's ruthless, yeah, and she's, she's evil and vindictive and, and mean. Well, that's why I went with Tracy Flick, because to the administration, to the teachers, she's the nice, wholesome person, but she's really a total horrible, backstabbing cunt. 
Yeah, but at least yeah. like Tracy, I, don't, I feel like she hit it a little better. Whereas this girl like walked up to Katie Holmes's character and basically like, oh, you know what I really admire about you is that you just basically take everyone's shit and let yourself get walked on. It's really great. And I'm like, wow. I think that's really just a failing of the script. Yeah. I mean, like, given with with the same actress with a better script, it probably would have come off as, the, as a similar character to... I, I don't think it was necessarily... Um, that the script or the girl playing it then? Well, I think, I think the girl playing it was fine. I think I think if she had more to work with, she would have been yeah. been okay with playing, you know, a I mean, more believable the, character. The screenwriting, like in the film, wants to give a very clear antagonist to Katie Holmes. Like, you want to see, like, you know, the number one versus the number two, like the valedictorian versus the number two chick. Like, mm-hmm. these girls that are vying for the title of number one in their class are very, very different. Like, one comes from the working class, which is Katie Holmes, who we're supposed to identify with. And then the other one, which is actually mentioned in the movie, is like, a, I believe by Vivica A. Fox in her only scene is as a, the guidance counselor. And Katie Holmes is her pride and joy. And she yeah. actually says that, which is a little weird. But uh, again, with all these teachers getting a little too personal with their students. But uh, Katie Holmes is her pride and joy. And she does not like the other chick who made the Bastille as a diorama for her presentation, which I don't think deserved an A. I just. I'm, I I get that they had to have, like, Katie Holmes be the one you want to root for in a way, and, like, she's the one that deserves it, not this bitch, but, like, they were just so heavy-handed on making the other girl, like, the, like, that just total, like, mean, douchey, like, I will do anything to win girl, and I was like, ah, this well- is and not only do they make her do everything to win but the film even suggests is that she'll win anyway like she'll win regardless of what her ranking is because even if she was a dropout her parents would get her into harvard well right the crossbow goes off and she blocks it with uh the yearbook and she has come within six inches of being murdered in the middle of class and everyone is very casual about this and mrs tingle is just like You've just, you just almost killed someone. Good job. And she really doesn't raise her voice past that. She's just like, now go sit down, you stupid, dumb idiot. Like, yeah. Every, yeah, everyone involved with this is either expelled or fired. That was, that was the first of many really stupid scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the, the entire way that's, that little part of the scene was shot was completely, it, it looked awful. Where the bolts flying towards her face in, like, Sam Raimi vision... And then she lifts the um, the bolt up and and stops it. That was the that was the take you went with. That was uh, that was not a smart decision. And uh, and Helen Mirren and Katie Holmes have this little sparring, verbal sparring match about irony, and what <laughs> irony is. And both of them are completely wrong. No one in this movie. Everyone in this movie went to the Alanis Morissette school of not knowing what the fuck irony is. I try not to get too carried away with the prose. It's completely factual. She was ultimately burned at the stake. It's documented. Always the victim, aren't we, Miss Watson? Well, there are certain similarities between society today and 17th century Salem. I guess that would be the irony of it all. I'm well aware of what irony is, Miss Watson. You, however, should consult your dictionary. Of course, I I wasn't suggesting that it was... Irony is the opposite of what is or might be expected. Uh, for example, if Miss Watson was expecting an A on her history project, she might find the actual result to be rather ironic. 
And this goes on throughout the entire movie. It's a recurring theme. But anyway, Katie Holmes and her friend uh, are in the gym after school hanging out. And the cute boy, the cute bad boy, the, he's, this guy's basically destined to be a, uh, to do oil changes at the Jiffy Lube for the rest of his life. Uh, this is played by now, all right, last week, I was called out for knowing that <laughs> someone in the movie was on Gilmore Girls. Well, I'm not confident of this. You Rob and D, where is this guy from? Seventh Heaven. Seventh Heaven. Seventh Heaven. Okay, so we're all 14-year-old. The least 14-year-old girl of all of us is probably Pam. Yeah, that's probably very true. <laughs> so, uh, this is Barry Watson, is the actor's name. He plays Luke in this movie, and he's the bad boy. He comes in, and he has a copy of Tingle's final exam, but... Who should come in at the worst possible moment is Mrs. Tingle herself, and she finds that they have a copy of the exam. Specifically, it is Katie Holmes who is caught holding it, and Mrs. Tingle basically creams her panties at this point. She is so happy. She has caught the... They keep calling her the smartest girl in school. If the smartest girl in school did a six-month project and thinks that Salem witches were burned... This is like a Votech at the best. This school, this school is not very good. But she's well, so in a happy. small town, Chris. That's true. You know, you can't expect anything from a small town, which this movie has taught me. Well, that's yeah, true. It's pretty. Well, we can't expect anything from this movie. The, the the whole town is terrible. I mean, that's that's another like recurring theme I think of this movie is that like, at the end of the day, it like totally bashes like this small town living because there's nothing really wrong with the town except that it's a small town and that people who live there can't leave there just because there's not that many people living there like that that really drives like every character in this film not only Katie Holmes but also almost all the adults I feel like yeah and I said this to D when we were watching it I said this movie it doesn't make sense to pl- take place in, like, an attractive suburb. This movie needed to take place in Detroit, Detroit. or, like, Methville, West Virginia. Yes. Yeah. Like, where do you really need to get out of, you know, your little, like, Hollywood suburb or, like you said, Meth Town? Yeah. That's, yeah, they... They did make it seem like being stuck there was probably the worst thing that's ever happened to them. And yeah, like, this movie takes place in hell. That's what I'm saying. Like, you gotta get out of there. I mean, but I can understand, you know, having that, that feeling, though, of, like, being in a small town and being like, I don't want to stay here. Like, wanting to get away from where... I didn't get it. Yeah, but they did do it a little kind of over the top. Overdone. I mean, yeah. it's, like, desperate. It it's desperation. Yeah. Well, yeah. it followed the running theme of this movie, where everything is just so over the top and so overdone, and and to the point where it's unrealistic. You know, like this, the 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 importance of being valedictorian, pretty much everything. Yeah, and I loved. I I missed this, but uh, another thing that we can call bullshit on is, you know, people at home might be saying who haven't watched this might be saying, well, why didn't Katie Holmes just get student loans? And there's a passing comment about how she was turned down for student loans because they can't afford it. Eh, a no. grant. Not she how helped, it works. No, the grant. She well, she gets turned down for the grant, but then she also gets turned... They, they specifically mentioned student loans, 
Huh. But no, st- they love to give student loans to people who can't afford it because yeah, that's, that's how they make their money. Sort of so yeah, there's basically like we said, Kevin Williamson did not do his homework on this one. Um, speaking of people who did not do their homework, Tingle finds the exam in Katie Holmes's hands, or I guess her backpack. She's so excited by the fact she can rat her out. She claims there'll be a huge scandal. No, there probably won't. But Michael McKean's principal has gone home for the day, so she can't inform him until tomorrow. Yeah, because there's no cell phones or emails in 1999. Nope. They didn't no, he just them. won't pick up when she calls. Which is actually believable. Yeah. So they, the friends say they're... The, the two friends and... Barry Watson's character isn't even really Katie Holmes' friend at this point. They both say that, oh, you shouldn't take the fault for this. You have to go. You have so much potential. You need to go get out of this terrible town. We'll take the blame for you. And granted, it is entirely his fault, but they're going to go to Mrs. Tingle's house and try to explain to her that this is not Katie Holmes' fault at all because Katie Holmes is so great and she doesn't deserve this. Now, this escalates very quickly. So they, they arrive outside, they, they hide in the hedge as they try to figure out what to do. Initially, um, Joe Lynn walks up and tries to sort of um, make a make a plea. She cops to it and claims that it's all her fault and um, like crocodile tears and tries to, to get her off. And she more or less succeeds in getting Mrs. Tingle off, just not the way she intended. And then basically just gets the door slammed in her face. And so then... Katie Holmes's character walks up. She tries the same thing. She sort of kind of forces her way inside, and there's a verbal altercation, at which point she's told to get out, and all of a sudden, Barry Watson's character shows up, and he's he's got a fucking... He's got the fucking crossbow for no adequately explained reason, because well, there's no she, reason he should have had that crossbow. Well, she had it. She took it away from him, and she left it in the classroom, and he must have just picked it up. Not that... I mean, that's still bullshit, but at the same time. It just it didn't it didn't make any sense. He he. So they threaten he threatened her with a crossbow, and he's stupid enough to lift his finger off of the crossbow. At which point, Helen Mirren displays her kung fu skills and almost beats the shit out of this like jock seventeen year old character. And then the the friend I think misfires the crossbow and almost splatters Helen Mirren's brains on the wall. Um, but it ends up just leaving a giant gash on her forehead and knocking her out. So now they've gone from trespassing to assault and attempted murder. But that should be your second moment of bullshit, because that thing just grazed her forehead oh, yeah. to knock well, her out. Initially, initially, you can't even see any blood anywhere. And that yeah. was, the, yeah, you're, you're right. That was the second moment that I called bullshit, because there's no indication that she's actually taken any, uh, this, this has had any effect other than to, like, slam her into the wall magically from, like, the air pressure or something. It's only when they get to the close-up that you actually see the gash on her forehead, which is still completely unrealistic. Yeah. This is like the vibrations moment where somehow getting the hood of a car crushed on you only takes off with your hands and not, like, your head or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's a convenient plot developer. So now we have an unconscious Mrs. Tingle, and we have three students who want to extract their revenge somehow because she's personally made fun of all three of them to their faces in class. So they they have something to prove. They're a little vindictive. So they bring her upstairs. They put her on the bed. You know, they want to just leave her there. They don't know what to do. Barry Watson's kind of suggests, like, the tie her up kind of notion. So now Helen Mirren, Mrs. Tingle, 
is 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 uh, fettered to the bed and has to be subject to a bunch of high school bullshit. I mean, it's all just stupid high school drama, and her character totally feeds into it, kind of in a perfect way. Again, she goes full Hannibal Lecter on the characters. Yeah, she's a sociopath, like, no doubt. <laughs> they have her tied to the bed, and she, you know, at this point, they're, they haven't gotten quite too vindictive yet. They're kind of still at the, holy shit, what just happened? What are we going to do now? Because clearly we've just, like, assaulted our teacher. She's going to wake up. She already hates us. How are we going to get out of this one? So she wakes up, and she's kind of like, oh, I'm dizzy. I don't feel well. I have to go to the hospital. And, of course, Katie Holmes, being, like, the sweet, impressionable one, is like, oh, even though you're a total wench, I'm going to trust you because suddenly you're hurt and that makes you um, need my assistance. So, I don't think Katie Holmes was the one to do that, though. Oh, no, you're right. It was JoLynn. It was uh, the friend. It was the friend because yeah, well, again, they set up in the movie that she kind of almost identifies with Tangle a little bit. Like, true. And it, it goes into more depth as the movie goes on that well, JoLynn as the best friend, like, really kind of feels for Mrs. Tingle in a lot of ways. But the first way we see that is when she almost lets her go. See, I don't, I, I don't agree with that she feels with Mrs. for Mrs. Tingle. I think she is the most easy to prey off of for Mrs. Tingle. Because she's the dumbest. She's, yeah, she's the dumbest of the three. So she's the one that Mrs. Tingle kind of zeroes in on goes, I can take this one out. I know I can. Because Katie Holmes, I think, is the one that identifies the most with Mrs. Tingle. Because she... Like, they, I mean, they use this a lot in the movie where Mrs. Tingle is basically like, I could have been you, but I turned into me instead, and I want you to suffer, too. It's basically throughout the movie. But, yeah, no, so you're right. I'm sorry. It was JoLynn, who was the friend, that unties her, and then Mrs. Tingle is like, just kidding, I'm going to try to choke you out now. And, of course, the crossbow comes back into play, and Barry is like, yo, lay the hell down. I'm going to shoot you in the head. Don't think I'm not going to. So yeah. Tied back to bed, and that goes. And for about pretty much the next half hour, is Tingle pulling the old divide and conquer method? Whenever the entire group is there, she shuts up and lets them kind of argue amongst themselves, and then they'll leave one of them to guard Mrs. Tingle, and two will go away, and that's when she'll start to get in their heads. She picks out their most vulnerable personality traits and digs at it. The fact that Katie Holmes will never get out of the town and she'll be a failure. The fact that Barry comes from a broken home. The fact that JoLynn is going to be a washed-up actress. I think she even says at some point, I hope you're a good waitress. Yeah, but see, the yeah, thing... She first comes to the door. Yeah. She does, yeah, she does say that, but the thing she really does the most is, though she, again, she identifies JoLynn as the weakest one, knows that if she's going to have a chance of, like, ruining everything between them. She's the one she has to go after. So she she verbally assaults all of them. You know, she basically calls... Most of the movie is Katie Holmes trying to be, like, you know, be a badass and be like, you know, you were trying to make me fail. I know you're a bad teacher. Just admit it. And basically Helen Mirren throughout the movie is, is like, I can smell how scared you are. Like, I can sense it. Like, you're not going to take me down. I know you too, but, like, I know you better than that. And then Barry or whatever Luke, I guess his name is in the movie, she she try, she does use the angle on him, like, I know your dad is a drunk, but he never seems to be phased by that, maybe a little bit, but from him, she just she just kind of extracts a little bit of information that she then uses against them, but it's really Joe Lynn that is the one 
she works on the most by so side note back to the beginning because I don't think we talked about this but JoLynn has this huge crush on Luke she like wants in his pants real hardcore Katie Holmes wants nothing to do with him but of course as it always goes in the movies he is therefore in love with Katie Holmes and not with the girl who wants him the most I mean, I will say, JoLynn's crush on Barry Watson is one of the more awkward things about her character. Like, I just watched this movie and was just cringing for her character so many times. It was like the bad Marilyn Monroe, and then something that happens later in the movie, which was goddamn near unwatchable, folks. I must say, nearly... We can get into that now. I almost turned off the movie. Like, it was nearly unwatchable. It is unwatchable. Let's just bring it up now. Rob, why don't you describe that scene? Yeah, describe that scene, Rob. If I can talk for a moment about the worst scene in teaching (laughs) Mrs. Tingle by far... And we we have Jeffrey Tambor trying to get spanked and drinking wine and being blindfolded, and this was still the worst scene. Uh, Katie Holmes and Barry Watson leave Mrs. Tingle, so we got not Eric Matthews plus Tom Cruise's wife leaving her to the bed, and they say, who's going to watch her? Well, why not the emotionally unstable best friend? Here she is. She's in the room. She can't believe Miss Tingle doesn't have TV, so JoLynn decides to recreate The Exorcist, because seeing Mrs. Tingle tied up to the bedpost reminds her of that famous scene in The Exorcist, where this movie tries to get a little too big for its britches with its references. So we have JoLynn flopping around on the bed, rolling her eyes back in her head. And to me, this scene goes on for an uncomfortable amount of time. I don't know if any of you agree with me, but it was rough. Yeah. It's also... and. I don't know if we brought this up yet, but this movie got changed from an R rating to a PG-13 rating from killing Miss Tingle to teaching Miss Tingle due to Columbine. And this is one of the places where D&I caught major changes. Yeah, where, you, could hear the, you could tell the ADR. Yeah, you can – she's clearly mouthing fuck me, fuck me, fuck me, which is the line from The Exorcist. But it's ADR'd as take me, take me, take me. Yeah, and, and it's very, very obvious. Well, even when she does, the, some of the voices sound like they're just—they had like a dude actually doing the voice, and they just put it in over it so she could sound like when Regan is actually possessed. Because it didn't sound like those were voices she could actually be making. I mean, I didn't buy it at all. It was the worst scene in this whole movie. I hated yeah. it. I absolutely hated this scene. There was no reason for it. It could have just been like, oh. It sucks that you don't have TV. I want to watch Jerry Springer. And then, boom, next scene. But instead, we spend, like, another 12 minutes with JoLynn acting out The Exorcist, like, crashing on the bed and rolling her eyes back. And I just remember thinking, like, this actress is a real person. What a lovely day for an exorcism.
You really should get a TV. It's one of those times, we talked about this with Susan Sarandon in Elizabethtown, they feel embarrassed for the person who has to do this in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. This, the, the only other example I would have to say to something that we've watched is Susan Sarandon in Elizabethtown because this scene kind of gave me that, that same gut reaction where I'm just like, if this goes on for another 30 seconds, I'm going to have to like walk away. It's not fair to the actress who's doing this. Like, it's terrible. So Mrs. Tingle gets in her head after this. She she basically says, well, I know you've got a crush on him, but they're going to fuck. You realize that, right? They're leaving you here to watch me. Jolynn, who is not the, the sharpest bulb in the in the box, goes, oh, yeah, they maybe they are. And it does start to get into her head. It seems like the only person that Tingle's mind games work on is Jolyn. This sows the seeds for a future scene, but eventually they come back, and we have a little bit more drama as we get a knock on the door, and it's Jeffrey Tambor, who we briefly saw before as the gym teacher. He's now arrived at Mrs. Tingle's house for some reason. Okay, thank you. Um, so, yeah, so Jeffrey Tambor, uh, the, the eldest, the eldest blues, he knocks on the door and, you know, the kids in the house suddenly freak out because they realize that he can get into the house because he has knowledge of where a key is and it's coming in. So, of course, setting up the perfect sexual tension, Barry uh, throws Katie Holmes into a corner and, like, basically is, like, pinning her up against the wall, like, be quiet, we're going to stay here, wait this one out. Leaving Joe Lynn up in the bedroom with Mrs. Tingle tied up to a bed. And Jeffrey Tambor is walking through the house. George Sr. is walking through, calling his little sex kitten. You know, he's like, oh, your Spanky's here. I forget what he calls her. He has some ridiculous name for her, too. He is climbing up the stairs, and in the bedroom, JoLynn's freaking out, wondering what to do. And Mrs. Tingle is, like, thrashing against the bed, trying to get some kind of noise out, because she's gagged at this point, so she's trying to make it known that she's in distress. But, um... But JoLynn, being the great actress she is, proceeds to uh, do a Miss Tingle impression through the door, saying, oh, I'm sick, I'm, like, basically puking, I'm terrible, you should go. But Spanky, not to be denied the reason that he came over here, because he's going to get some if it kills him. It's like, no, I'm going to wait to see you. So, this brilliant plan is hatched that JoLynn is going to dress up in a lot of this part I don't really understand, given the rest of the the scene. She dresses up in a bunch of Mrs. Tingle's robes and, like, scarves and stuff. Sprays a bunch of perfume on herself. Doesn't do anything to cover her face or hair or anything like that. Walks downstairs and gets George Sr. to turn around and close his eyes. And then comes up behind him and is basically like, I'm going to get you really drunk and then we're going to do it. Doesn't that sound great? So JoLynn is being forced to kind of like stroke his legs, nibbling on his earlobes and sucking on his toes. And like, I don't know, just a whole bunch of gross shit. And 
Um, at this point, Joe Lynn gets creeped out and is like, I can't touch this, this dude anymore. And then he makes out with the dude from Seventh Heaven. I mean, he just plants one. Yeah, it looked like there was tongue in that. That was a mouth rape right there. We here we are. We get a little, a little like weirdness again, is because he just falls on top of him, mouth first, kisses him, on the lips, and then actually does pass out from the wine. Wait, so, can, I change, can I change my five across the eyes to Barry Watson gets mouth raped because that would be a pretty good. It's it's like Jeffrey Tambor lays his eggs in his throat. <laughs> it was like watching Alien. But, I mean, Barry Watson does get his mouth raped quite a couple times in this movie. So I feel like I'm changing my fire across the eyes to Barry Watson gets mouth raped. You know, Jeffrey Tambor's character as the coach just sort of passes out. Oh, and the fact that he kept his blindfold on that long, that he could yes. kiss a man and think it was Mrs. Tingle. I mean, that is really drunk. Cause they, you don't exactly know how, how well, how good of a kisser Helen Mirren is. That might have been normal for him. Yeah, maybe. After you've been waiting for 45 minutes, you would think you would just lift it up and be like, hey, are we going to fuck soon? Because I'm drinking all your wine. And he never does that. He just gets really, really drunk, you know, mouth rapes uh, Barry Watson and falls asleep. That's true. That's, and so that's, that's that scene. And it, it, was, it was terrible. Yeah. So then from there, okay, so from there, I'm going to call back another episode that we did when we did um, Bounty Hunters, and we talked about all the moral dilemmas in that movie, like the, the, the moral dilemmas that they set up for the characters. And this movie has a lot of those as well, which we're heading into one of them. So now they have this coach who is passed out, and they decide that the, the best thing that they're going to do is... Oh, did we totally miss the... the um, we did. Sorry, sorry. Okay, so before their plan was that the way they were going to keep Mrs. Tingle from talking is to take risque pictures of Barry Watson in bed with her. And then they were going to be like, we're going to show these to the authorities and to whoever else, unless you keep your mouth shut. You know, basically be my word against yours, um, that you and I were having a sexual affair. But before they can get into that is when I think Jeffrey Tambor's character comes in or something happens and that plan gets ruined. And then, so now they have the coach and they decide, okay, well, second best plan. We have this passed out guy. We can take pictures of them in bed together. The coach is married. This will be a huge scandal. She won't want this coming out. This is how we're going to blackmail her. So moral dilemma now is Mrs. Tingle is in bed and they like pop her shirt open. So you get to see some Helen Mirren breasts, which I know Chris likes a lot. Um, and I'll give him a second <laughs> <laughs> I'll give him a second to talk about that if he so chooses. But um, yeah, yeah. If you guys want, to, here, go ahead. Talk about Helen Mirren's breast for like. Chris, okay. please take this one. Please. Why, why do you guys assume I want to talk about this? Because <laughs> we we've known you for at least a decade. No, I mean, yes, I do jokingly say that Helen Mirren is the oldest person I would have sex with, but I don't that's not talk. a joke. That's true, but okay. I don't want to talk about it. It's just there a is, fact. Um, a you know hypothetical like fact. Mrs. Tingle being the sociopath that she is, but actually in this in this case, she has reason to be telling them not to do what they're doing. Because yeah, I mean, she becomes very human in this scene. Yeah, she does become human in this scene. She says, do you really want to ruin this man's life because that's what you're going to do? You're not going to take me down as much as you're going to take him down. He has a wife. Like, what are you guys doing? And of course... You know, uh, Joe Lynn and Luke are ready to be like, oh, fuck it, whatever. We've already kidnapped you and tied you a bed. How much worse can it get? 
And um, Katie Holmes' character has to stop and think about this for a second because she's like, "You're, you know what? You're right. This is pretty fucked up what we're doing here. Um, so uh, they take the pictures anyway. Then they take the coach. Barry Watson and Katie Holmes decide that they're going to take the coach home, leaving Joe Lynn again with Mrs. Tingle alone because they seem to think this is a good idea. I don't know why. This was yeah. another terrible scene where, like, Katie Holmes and Barry Watson leave the home and they leave Jolyn, the best friend there, yet again by herself to just fall whim to Mrs. Tingle. And they bring the coach home and they just leave him on the porch, just drunk as hell, and just leave him there. And they put... Katie Holmes even has this one moment where she, like, gently places his baseball cap on his head and tries to angle it so he doesn't get wet from the torrential downpour, which signifies, like, sexual frustration between two lead characters. These people are drenched, and they just want to fuck, but they can't because a freaking Joe Lynn, she's just back at the home, and, you know, Katie Holmes doesn't want to do it because of her best friend, but they leave the coach, and it's it's another just, ugh. Katie Holmes also does have that moment, too, where she goes, she's on the porch of the coach's house, and she walks to the side of the porch, and she can see in into the coach's house and she sees the coach's wife sitting there like reading a book and she just like this this again is one of those movie scenes that i'm just like this is a little creepy like it's gone on to the point where it makes me feel uncomfortable because she's just standing on the porch staring at this woman and it's supposed to be this meaningful moment but i just kept thinking like if i was that woman and i looked up and i saw this creepy girl standing on my porch like soaked with those big eyes i would be scared as shit like what are you doing and that they don't even ring the doorbell to get the coach inside it's just like we're gonna just leave him here and then stare at his wife and then we're gonna go yeah chris you you take over now it's your turn i mean what even happens now Um, Uh, a lot of nothing yeah there's a whole lot of well okay so i i guess we just get right into it um the dude and Katie Holmes have sex. Yeah, after after Miss Tingle kind of fucks with her a little bit, she basically says, "You're not, you're never going to do anything risky. You don't have the balls to do anything." You're too I mean, the sex scene was completely orchestrated by Mrs. Tingle. Oh yeah. Like, if we could, if we could just talk about that for a second, like Miss Tingle's manipulation it. up to this point has been to the best friend, where it's like. Oh, well, you know, he's got eyes for your friend. And she's like, no, he doesn't. She hates him. And she's like, oh, well. And, you know, Mrs. Tingle uses all these examples, whether they're real or not. But she she tells the stories of how, you know, she's been wronged in the past and things that have happened in her life and how she saw the best friend get the boy. And it's happening in JoLynn's real life. So it's really starting to, like, mess with her head. And then it really does happen when Jolene gets so fed up with the whole situation that she just goes home. Because, you know, you really can't fake just sleeping over Katie Holmes' house for a whole week. Like, eventually you got to go home if you're a teenager in the 90s. So Jolene goes home. There's no guard for Mrs. Tingle. Katie Holmes has no one else. And right after this very tense exchange with Mrs. Tingle, where she basically, again, goes way too personal into Katie Holmes' life, Oh, you have a mother that works a meaningless job and a father who doesn't return your phone calls. Like, how the fuck do you know that, Mrs. Tingle? And it leads to an actually an awesome sex scene, I must say. Yeah. Well, that, that, uh, we didn't talk about it. Uh, Chris had mentioned that we kind of had to bring this up at some point during the, um, the, the discussion. But 
so in an earlier scene, uh, and this relates to the, the sex scene as well, uh, in an earlier scene it's established that anything they say downstairs in the like the lobby area of the house, um, she can hear through the vents. Chris, do you remember this? Yes, I do remember this, and this is what allows Mrs. Tingle to listen to the sex scene, which she loves because, as we've established already, she is a sexual deviant. Yeah, you can totally see her getting off on this. The whole movie. Yeah. So, well, yeah. But just one more little science quibble. That can happen, but it usually takes something fairly loud. You you generally can't just hear little conversations through the vents like that. I mean, did you see that sex scene? I'm sure it was rather loud. Yeah, that's actually that's true. I guess I'll have to go with that. I just hate that whole like, oh yeah, of course the good quiet girl who's been good and quiet up until this point, they like just did the whole like, now she's like the sexual aggressor and she's just like pissed off and ripping his shirt off his body and she's got an animal in her all along. I'm like, come on guys. And then there was I lo- so Mrs. Tingle, when she's basically, before the sex scene happens, she says, you know, you know what's going to happen to you is you are going to get knocked up by somebody and then you're going to get stuck in this town with a kid you didn't want. And so Katie Holmes' first thing, like, how am I going to say fuck you to Mrs. Tingle? I'm going to go have sex downstairs with Barry Watson, who may or may not have a rubber. And maybe I will get knocked up by his bastard child and stand. Like, it just seemed like a really poor, poor plan for revenge. No, like, not to overshare anything, but you're not going to really want to go rough and wild in your first time because that shit is not that pleasant. So don't buy that either. Also, I wanted to point out, and I don't know if this is actually, but we were talking earlier about how um, uh, the guy who wrote this, Kevin Williamson, right? That's his name? Yeah. Yeah, huh? he... Uh, how you're talking about how he tries to make like kind of almost self-aware movies. We were talking about before this movie, Helen Mirren really just did a lot of, um, she did a lot of Shakespeare movies and she did Hamlet, of course. And there's a, there's a part where Katie Holmes walks in and she goes, ah, and enter Ophelia. And I was like, is that supposed to be like a reference to being like a British? That didn't work. That I said, I said, that just proves. Yeah. I said to D, I had said, you should probably stick to the history stuff, Mrs. Tingle, because the Ophelia reference doesn't really work there at all. I don't think Katie Holmes is going to go drown herself. If anyone's going to go drown themselves in a river over a boy, it's probably the friend. Oh, it's Jolyn, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. But then she also tells Jolyn at one point that you would never play Juliet. Juliet knows what heartbreak is, and you don't know that. So it's almost like... That Shakespeare thing comes back a few times. Yeah. It starts with her basically bashing on Joe Lynn's acting chops once again. Yeah. Yeah. But it's... It gets her in the end, doesn't it? It gets her good. Well, at the same time, it's like... It's the most entry-level Shakespeare references, you know? We we also forgot to mention in this this sex scene whole thing um, that... (laughs) And this this might probably... Might be my favorite... Part. Um, they're on the floor. They've they've just had sex, and Barry and Katie are sitting there, and they find Mrs. Tingle's grade book. And um, you know, Barry says, "Well, we can just change the grades here. We can change your grade to an A because she got a C on her project. That's kind of what tipped her over the edge, too. I feel like Katie Holmes had some sympathy for Mrs. Tingle, and was like, oh, we're going to get this situation fixed as soon as we can." And then uh, she realizes that she got a C on the project she spent six months on. So she's like, fuck you. Now I'm taking you down. I had said this to Dee. She, she finds a C early on. 
And I yeah. think a movie with balls, we get the idea from the early scene that she'd gotten a bad grade. I think if they had let it go a bit until maybe the last 25 minutes of the movie and then she finally looks at the grade book and it was like an A minus. Yeah, that's I think I that would have been really happen. good. But yeah. They make a very deliberate point of showing that C actually written in Sharpie marker on her like leather bound journal. Whereas like most of the students' grades were written on a post-it note on top of their project. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but I, I was just thinking that that was um, even more vindictive for Mrs. Tingle to like not only give her a C, but to literally like ruin her work by drawing on it with a red Sharpie marker as opposed to just putting a post-it note on top that she could remove. It's just like an extra fuck you. It, yeah, it is. And But she, again, has this, another moral dilemma, like, do I change a grade in a book? Like, do I do that? And then and Barry Watson's character looks at her and goes, what's right anymore? And this, of course, is like, she's like, oh, yeah, you're right. We've kind of fucked up so much stuff. We might as well just keep going. <laughs> like, all right, movie. So this is where we're going. Well, this is apparently where we're going. It's a valid point. The movie does still try to give them some sort of moral compass, which is really weird because... The characters in this movie have the most ass-backwards priorities. Yeah. Like, they do talk about, oh, is it right to change this grade? Well, you've assaulted your teacher and you've got her tied up upstairs. Yeah. We're basically felons right now, but I'm really mad that they're sleeping together. Like, the priorities in this movie are not well thought out. <laughs> Just uh, further establishes that none of these characters were the brightest in the class. No, yeah. this is definitely a Votech school right here. Yeah. There's not yeah. a whole lot left of the movie. No. Eventually, Tingle breaks out. She then somehow overpowers this strapping 18-year-old lad, ties him to the bed, and then attacks... Uh, she goes a little crazy when she attacks Katie Holmes. She just, she's got murder in her eyes at this point. Oh, yeah. She tries to shoot her with the crossbow. Uh, first, first, there is a... Uh fight on the stairs where they both kind of get thrown down the stairs um well she gets yeah she gets basically like miss tingle basically just kicks the shit out of katie holmes like just beats her up and then she falls down the stairs and then she's like you know what fuck it i'm just killing you and then she fires the shot or the shot the crossbow well at this point in the movie i think it's worth noting that the grade change has already been noted and the only grades that are changed are Katie Holmes and the other valedictorian chick. So she finds out that she got a B on her presentation of the Bastille. She, like, flips out. She's like, I'm an A student. And then there she goes on a rampage. The, the drastic measures against the teacher have already been taken. So she shows up with her yearbook yet again. Obviously, this shit cannot be without her yearbook for more than five minutes. And, and, and it actually ends up saving her life. Well... We don't know that at first. So Mrs. Tingle shoots the, the crossbow. It goes through her glass front door, and it hits. Um, at first, you're led to believe it's Katie Holmes, and you kind of look a little closer, and no, it turns out it's the valedictorian, or the other valedictorian candidate, um, this this other this bitch, basically, for lack of a better word. And, um, and uh She's laying on the floor, and Katie Holmes goes, oh, my God, she's dead. You killed her. And Mrs. Tingle, you know, realizes what she's done, sits down and goes, oh, my God, I just wanted you to fail so much. Well, first she says, 
I just wanted you to learn. And then Katie Holmes goes, no, you wanted me to fail. And, and then they do the, isn't that irony? Fucking yeah. no, it's not thing. And the principal is there up. for no reason. Yeah, the principal shows up for no reason. And he and manages... Oh, no, he shows up for a reason. Because oh, remember, yeah. more skewed priorities. Mrs. Tingle, the first person she calls after escaping from imprisonment isn't the police no. or an ambulance. It's the school. Well, she because she tells them, she tells the school first, like, hey, my grade book was stolen, and those weren't my grades. She's, like, basically saying, like, you're not going to get away with this. But, yeah, you're right. She probably should have called the cops right after that. But um, she didn't. She calls the school, and so the principal shows up just in time to hear Mrs. Tingle confess that all she wanted was for Katie Holmes to fail and that she would have, like, basically done anything to make it happen. He walks in, realizes that Mrs. Tingle was the one who shot the girl in the, the well, again we think she's dead but then it turns out it was the yearbook all along after she confessed the girl sits up and goes I should have gotten an A and Mrs. Tingle is like ah oh, fuck I just confessed all of that for no real good reason and the principal is like I've been waiting a long time to say that you're fired so you're fired because you just shot a chick with a crossbow and you've been trying to ruin Katie Holmes' life all along yeah I believe he was waiting 20 years yeah, yeah. and then yeah, and then pretty much that's the end of the movie. Then you find out that Katie Holmes gets valedictorian, and she can finally go to to whatever school she wants to go to. Community which, college. Yeah, it doesn't make any damn sense how... Okay, so first of all, this is, this is my, my bullshit moment with this. Yeah, Mrs. Tingle did just almost kill a student. Granted, that just happened. But did she just never admit to like what happened in the house that she was bound and assaulted by the students there? Because apparently nothing ever happens to Katie Holmes' character, even though she's pretty guilty. And all of the grades, I guess, from that history class must have just been thrown out because clearly they were all skewed because Mrs. Tingle was a horrible teacher. <laughs> so it's like, ah, everybody passed. Even if you really sucked, we can't tell if you really sucked because she was a shitty teacher. So everybody gets to pass. And the one thing they didn't the one thing they didn't show at the end of the scene uh, of that scene when they're doing the graduation is the ankle bracelet that Katie Holmes has. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the ending was terrible. It was just like a great way to just like say like, all right, the movie's over. Like, here's the ending. You yeah. Know, in character gets what she wants with no repercussions. And not only that, her best friend and the deadbeat both get to graduate. And like that was what was threatened over their heads. This whole movie is like. You guys will never graduate. And, like, yet somehow Tingle just fades from public memory, even though she's been in the town forever, which they make a point of saying that in an earlier scene, is when she's like, you know, when she's talking to Katie Holmes, you know, I used to be like you. You know, I'm jealous of all my students. I hate when they uh, when they have a bright future. I just want to ruin their bright futures. And, and Katie Holmes' bright future is never ruined at all. And the whole incident with Mrs. Tingle is never brought up again. And we have a very clean and unbelievable ending. And that's the, the millionth time I call bullshit yet again. Well, this, yeah, exactly. the, ending, the ending was clearly a victim. Not that I'm defending it because the ending is garbage. But the ending was clearly a victim of it jumping or it falling from R to PG-13. Because the, the Trudy character, the, the valedictorian clearly was supposed to die and that's how katie holmes would have gotten moved up to valedictorian because if you notice during graduation there is a large picture of trudy on the stage oh, no, almost as a memorial 
Yeah, and they don't show her during the end. She's dead in this ending. They must have uh. reshot that scene where she miraculously survives. Because and manages to stay quiet for like 10 minutes. Exactly. On the floor. She is very dead at that yeah. graduation. There's a big picture of her face up on the stage. She is fucking crossbowed through the heart. Yeah, yeah and the only thing that would have made sense in this ending is if she was to die. Yeah. Because then you have murder versus just regular old assault. Well, and now Mrs. Tingle is guilty of murder, so therefore anything she says has nothing to do, you know, like anything she says is, is thrown out. Because, oh, yeah, well, we kidnapped her, but she killed someone. Yeah. And, like, that's the only way that this whole ending would have made any sense. And the fact that they have her just sit up and still be alive ruins everything. I mean, there would have been a criminal investigation into what happened in this house. And even though murder trumps assault, I mean, you still can't give a girl valedictorian if she assaulted her teacher and kidnapped her. I'm sorry, but you just can't do that. Like, yeah. that it's not rock, paper, scissors. Like, yeah, murder beats assault. Assault beats battery. Battery. Be- it doesn't work like that. Yeah. Well, Kevin Williamson seems to think so. See, yeah. Well, um, I guess we'll go into some of the trip. There's not a lot of trivia. We talked about how the movie went from an R to a PG-13. But... Now, we did mention how this movie and any movie with Katie Holmes would be better if Katie Holmes was replaced by Maggie Gyllenhaal. But what if Katie Holmes was replaced by Alicia Silverstone? Because that almost happened. Really? Oh, wow. That would have been weird. It would have been like a weird clueless. They may actually have been able to justify the like the the darker parts of the movie then. I think or- I would have liked that. But the, the, the movie never seems to understand who it's trying to speak to. Like, it wasn't funny enough. Or cute enough to really speak to the Dawson's Creek fans, and it wasn't dark enough, or even sexy enough. Even though there's a very intense kind of sex scene, it wasn't sexy or dark enough to really speak to any adult adults who were watching Dawson Creek, being like, "Oh, well, Katie Holmes needs to do something new." Like, who does this movie speak to? And I, I think the the you know the the money that this movie made is like a testament to that. Like, it didn't even make back its very modest budget. This movie definitely suffered in reshoots. That's very true. So, okay, so maybe Alicia Silverstone wouldn't have been the best Leanne Watson, but we had a lot of people who turned down the role of Mrs. Tingle. Well, Gillian Anderson, Scully herself, specifically turned down the role, but Meryl Streep... Glenn Close, Sigourney Weaver, and Sally Field were all considered. Now, it says considered, but I feel like they were just people that came up when they were spitballing ideas, and none of them even saw this fucking script. No, they never read for the part of Mrs. Tingle. There's no way that Meryl Streep was reading these lines. I just don't believe that for one second. And Gillian Anderson as Mrs. Tingle? I don't see that at all. No, I don't think It's not that. old enough. Like, Helen Mirren literally is the only thing that works. Like, she was well put. She was well cast. You know, she, she played her part as best as she could. And she's the, the contributing factor to this movie. It was, like, the only redeeming quality, in my opinion. I think they should have got the rapping granny from The Wedding Singer to play Mrs. Tingle. Yes, that would have been awesome. It would have been so much better moving. I guess <laughs> it's time we do Netflix or Notflix. Should the people at home cue this movie up tonight when they're sitting at home? Is that even seriously a question? (laughs) We have to do it. It must be done. 
I think D, it's gonna going to have to, Am I going to have to text you to go fuck yourself again? D, start us off. Yeah, she please. Should they cue this movie um, up? This this movie pissed me off. If you can, if you decide to suffer through this and can make it past the exorcism scene, and you're not doing it for a podcast, you have my my solemn, you know, you deserve a medal. No, don't watch this movie. I'm gonna say absolutely not. I mean, especially if we're going with this Netflix martyrs. Like, if you are on Netflix, you have a hundred other movies that you should see before teaching Mrs. Tingle. If you didn't watch this movie when you were 12 or 13 and you were in the 90s, there's no reason to watch it now. Absolutely not, Flex. Yeah. Pam? Um, yeah, unless you really, really, really like plot holes and a really disappointing ending, um, don't watch this movie. And it's probably... Just leave it as one of those movies that you kind of remember hearing about once upon a time... You didn't have an interest in seeing it then, and you probably had good reason for not wanting to see it. Don't ever watch it. Don't Netflix it. It's not worth it. I don't know what you guys are talking about. I love this movie. <laughs> oh, fuck up. No, f- <laughs> fuck this movie. Don't watch it. I will go ahead and recommend something else. I could think of off the top of my head two movies that did the kind of dark, depraved high school girl better, and that would be Jawbreaker. And this movie I know is on Netflix. Heather's is yeah. an excellent movie that... Heather's is great. Yeah. Like, go watch Heather's a hundred times before you would ever see this movie. Exactly. Yeah. So there's two movies you can check out instead of teaching Mrs. Tingle. Fortunately, Helen Mirren went on to do much better things. And Katie Holmes went on to... Become Mrs. Cruz. Become Mrs. Cruz and almost be in two Batman movies. Yeah. Well, that was a close call. Yeah, thank God they thought about that. That was teaching Mrs. Tingle. Uh, It's a unanimous no. But I got to ask, gun to the head, which movie would you rather watch again, teaching Mrs. Tingle or Elizabethtown? Elizabethtown. Yeah. Really? Oh, I don't know. I mean, as much as I didn't like either of those films, I feel like teaching Mrs. Tingle didn't feel quite as horribly drawn out and long as uh, Elizabeth Town did. There was no Alec Baldwin teaching Mrs. Tangle. That's true, but I mean, you have have Helen Mirren. If he played the coach, it would be be a toss-up, but just for for the Baldwin factor alone, just I would watch Elizabeth Town again. I I I was watching Elizabeth Town that I actually got some mild enjoyment out of shouting at the screen. Th- this movie just bored the crap out of me. It was not fun. There was I, no fun to be had. I feel like this movie went by a lot faster than Elizabeth Town did, and I find Kirsten Dunst as, as insufferable as I find Katie Holmes. I find Kirsten Dunst and Elizabeth Town just a slight bit more insufferable. So I'm still going to stick with my teaching with Kindle or Kindle. Uh, Tingle, because at least you have Helen Mirren and you have Jeffrey Tambor for a little little while, and I guess that's kind of fun. And I, yeah, no, I do teaching Miss Tingle again. I'm gonna side with Pam here. I think teaching Miss Tingle is the kind of movie you can at least grab some beers and friends and be like, look at this fucking thing, and laugh at it. While if you showed a bunch of people Elizabeth Town, they would just be like, are yeah, we not, fr- are we not friends factor, anymore? Yeah, the pretentious factor in Elizabeth Town just kind of sucks all the life out of it. It just that's, gets- that's absolutely true. 
at so this point. I can't. I couldn't do it again. Not if you paid me. Well, that's uh, unfortunately that's not the point of this podcast. Both movies suck. Don't watch them. <laughs> Go see something better. Uh, any last words on teaching Mrs. Tingle? They should have nope. killed her. Yeah, everyone should have died. Teaching Mrs. Tingle just ended up with all the characters being dead. Mass murder, guns, not crossbows. You know, I want I want the gritty reboot. If you if you guys were Mrs. Tingle, what and and uh, and some precocious little girl turned this in as their final project, what grade would you give it? An F. Well, I would give them. I mean, maybe not a solid F, but I would wait. The movie or the the diary? No, the movie. Oh, oh yeah, the movie I'd give a solid off to. <laughs> I, I would give them the worst grade, just barely enough to keep them from graduating first in their class. <laughs> just, do, <laughs> just do the math and fuck them over. I would do the math, and if they needed a ninety, I would give them an eighty-nine. Nice. Uh, yeah, that's that's good. I like that. Perfect. Yeah. Next week, we're gonna move away from high school, and we're gonna go to an '80s movie that was a staple. On the old WPIX 11 in like 1998. We're going to watch The Golden Child starring Eddie Murphy. Ooh. Oh, oh God. Yeah. Love it. Ooh, Actually, yeah. yeah, that's not too bad. All right. Well, hopefully yeah. we, can, we can improve a little bit. Though we, all, we did have a unanimous like of Vibrations. And Pam, now that you're here, would you have recommended Vibrations if you were on the last episode? I, I would have. I mean, it's not really a good movie, but it's kind of funny. For the, the funniness factor alone, yes, you should totally watch it. Because once it starts getting into that, like, techno robot, you're going to have a good time. I promise you. There we go. So, we, so we're, not, we're not too far removed from some good movies. We had a unanimous recommend. We had a unanimous fuck this movie. But now we're going with... Eddie Murphy and the Golden Child. And Eddie Murphy, I mean, he's Eddie Murphy. Can't be that bad. This is only a couple years away from... It's only a couple years after Beverly Hills Cop, so it's not bad, Eddie Murphy. Yeah, but you got to realize this is also a couple of years before Pluto Nash. It's a lot of years before Pluto Nash. A lot of years. A lot of years before Pluto Nash. Golden Child was, like, right after, like, uh, the raw and delirious stand-up shows Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, like, the 48 Hours flicks and the Beverly Hills Cop flicks. It's like his decline. This is like premium, like mid-level Murphy, and I am very excited to watch that film. And if you're looking to get in touch with us, NetflixMartyrs at gmail.com, at NetflixMartyrs on the Twitter, or follow us on Facebook. We'll see you next time.